Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s. And each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did. Hardly a day goes by without some new development in the ongoing effort to welcome asylum seekers into Chicago and at a pace no one would have imagined one or two years ago. Mayor Brandon Johnson had to assemble a team to help guide the city through the crisis. And the tip of the spear in this struggle, the point person on matters migrants, is his deputy chief of staff, Christina Passioni Zayas. She is my guest this week. Hello, I'm political editor Craig Delamore, and this is At Issue. It is hard to follow and understand a contentious and complicated issue like the migrant crisis here in Chicago and elsewhere through sound bites. In fact, sometimes the sound bites can trigger emotions that cloud the discussions we should be having. That is why we want to talk with Christina Passione Zayas this week. She's a native Chicagoan who served as an Illinois state senator until she was tapped for her current job. Prior to government service, she was a community schools director at Enlace Chicago. She's also been a member of the Illinois State Board of Education. And uh, 
He is very welcome for our program now. Deputy Mayoral Chief of Staff Christina Passioni Zayas, welcome. Thank you, Craig. Well, we are conducting this interview via Zoom and we have a lot to talk about, so let's get going. Well, before we were all talking about the Ed Burke verdict, the headlines in this city were mostly about migrants and especially the way in the past few days, Texas authorities chartered a plane to carry asylum seekers to Chicago, flying over the city's crackdown on migrant buses. Um, obviously, that took authorities and I assume city officials uh, by surprise. Uh, the initial reaction to that as a tactic? You know, I think while it's surprising, it's not. Um, it's pretty consistent with the behavior of the governor of Texas, whose primary goal is to sow chaos, confusion, and disruption. Um, you know, one thing that was really interesting and also an indication of how little he understands is he said he was doing this because Mayor Johnson was not living up to the welcoming city ordinance. Well, the fact that he was citing the welcoming city ordinance with respect to how Mayor Johnson is welcoming uh, migrants and particularly addressing this international humanitarian crisis, one doesn't have to do with the other, right? We are a sanctuary city, which means that we make sure, and this is, you know, Harold Washington's legacy, right? That city services do not, um, do not look at your immigration status, right? That shouldn't be a barrier. And then the welcoming city ordinance is actually an evolution that started with Rahm Emanuel and then again, uh, Mayor Lori Lightfoot to ensure that there isn't cooperation between the Chicago Police Department as well as the federal agency known as ICE. Um, so for him to cite the welcoming ordinance about this issue is an indication that he's not even paying attention to the laws that we have passed let alone abiding by them, right? Because he decided to he decided to divert, um, you know, or or avert any kind of uh, citation or violation by now putting people up in the air and not necessarily uh, giving them any kind of choice in the situation. Well, and in some ways, uh, it is like a chess game, but it's being played with human lives here. That's right. Um, what is the next step for the city with regards to the airplanes? And I know we're still dealing with buses, too, and we'll talk about that. But but with re regards to the airplanes, what can uh, the city do, if anything? Well, it's really a federal issue, um, even though this was a privately chartered plane. Um, you know, the FAA does have um, some type of authority to intervene. Um, and so, you know, our officials, our commissioner of um, Department of Aviation is in contact with the federal government. We've also been in very close contact with the White House. Um, you may even have noted they waited on um, this latest stunt, you know, pulled by Governor Abbott. Um, so I think there will be some there will be some intervention uh, should he try to do this again. Uh, I was going to ask, have there been any more planes? No, there hasn't. There was a rumor of one um, we had heard for the next day, but it didn't actually uh, manifest. 
Okay. And uh, as you point out, the authorities are federally controlled. Uh, Congressman Jesus Chuy Garcia uh, keeps saying that the, this is human trafficking and and especially once it went into federally controlled skies that it should be stopped under existing laws. Are you confident that that's going to happen? I think that that is definitely, um, you know, something to explore. I mean, when you are, for example, even with the buses, right? When you are telling people that you are going to transport them via bus to Chicago, but bypass Chicago and then go to an adjacent municipality or even like we've heard there's been drop offs in Piatone, there's been drop offs in Elburn. There is nothing out there that could welcome them, let alone just even being clothed appropriately for the weather. So people are boarding these buses thinking they're coming to Chicago to receive a certain, you know, welcoming and just the basic needs and necessities. And yet what you're doing is you're dropping them off randomly, or in some cases, you're even going to metro stations or right outside of Chicago to the Blue Line at Forest Park, purchasing Ventra passes or Metro passes and just saying, good luck, head downtown. That's fraud. And, and that should certainly be explored um, with respect to some of the concerns and the charges that could be brought up with uh, human traffic. And we're we're talking as as buses are still coming. Uh, yes. And uh, I in fact, I understand that at least one of them, if not more, have actually gotten permits. Yes, that was the behavior we were trying to promote. Um, you know, when we went to the border and we made contact with, you know, the various uh, offices of emergency management and the local municipalities and the NGOs, you know, our big message was communicate with us, coordinate with us. We need to see these manifests. We need to know what time you are coming, how many people, what the composition of the buses, the confirmation of the sponsors that you have supposedly vetted. And that can assist us with having some type of coordination and planning so that we can humanely welcome people. And what's so ironic about these permits is that it's simple. It's an online form. Um, and all we ask is you submit uh, 48 hours in advance and with all of this information and our commissioner of uh, the Department of Transportation will approve if everything is in order and if we are able to welcome humanely. Um, so yes, we have had um, some ch some behavior change with that. We have not had behavior change um, consistently with, you know, within the hours of receiving um, or the scheduled days, because for us it's 8, 8 a.m. to 5.30 p.m. Monday through Friday. Um, we do not receive on weekends or holidays. And, um, you know, we have a, a clearly designated, um, you know, landing zone. So all of those things are pretty straightforward, um, but we did have one bus that actually did submit a permit request. Um, it was granted and uh, we were ready to welcome it. Okay, but just one so far, at least, and we're talking on Friday, but only one. And can you give me, as of now, mm -hmm. the status report on... Uh, how many new arrivals we have and you know, basically the report that you would give us on a Friday when you weren't scrambling to get, get, get you know, get uh, a hold of things and control of things that were happening at the last minute. 
Absolutely. Um, you know, let me pull up the exact, exact number um, because it is a fluid situation. Um, but what we do know is roughly it's about 14,000 within our shelter, um, you know, kind of inching up towards uh, 15,000. Uh, I want to kind of put this in context. Since we've been in office, that is plus 11,000 individuals. We inherited 3,000 in shelter, and we have now in seven months built up a shelter system to house 14,000 individuals. And again, to put it in perspective, our unhoused population that we shelter is about 3,000. So the 14,000 total is actually um, fourfold plus almost fivefold um, of the of the sheltering system that we have for our unhoused Chicagoans that we don't even manage. We delegate that out to agencies. So Chicago had to learn how to create its own sheltering system. And in seven months, we didn't have much that we were inheriting with respect to infrastructure. Um, but we've had 27 shelters. That's plus 19 since we have been in office. Um, we basically had a... Um, in terms of buses, I want you to think about it this way. Since September 1st, we have welcomed 390 plus buses. That is the most in one period and more than the entire year before. So from like August 31st, 2022 to August 31st, 2023, there were 363 buses. But in a period of 120-ish days, we have had 390 plus buses. Um, so this is a, you know, it, it, in terms of orders of magnitude, this is a huge undertaking. It's an international crisis that we have constantly referenced that we inherited with no infrastructure. The previous city council did not budget any money for this. Um, so it was on, you know, the shoulders of the mayor to pass the 51, um, to present the 51 million to city council. And, um, you know, obviously that was a very difficult vote for a lot of people, but given the fact that the federal government has not been able to demonstrate a sense of responsibility that is commensurate with their jurisdiction in this, uh, we had no other choice. And, you know, with the help of the county in terms of the healthcare coordination, that has been significant in terms of their contributions, as well as the state to assist with the case management, the rental assistance, and now with the workshops for the um, temporary protective status designation, as well as work authorization. We are on our way to processing 11,000 individuals um, to be able to work legally in the United States and have protective status while they are seeking um, a pathway to citizenship. And just to cap off uh, where things stand, uh, obviously one of the goals had been to get uh, migrants out of the uh, the police uh, district stations. Where are we on that? Yeah, the police districts have now all been transitioned. They are retired as um, emergency staging areas. Um, at our highest point, the end of October, we had 3,900 individuals across our police um districts and O'Hare. Today, we have zero at our police districts, but we do have still about 200 at O'Hare. Um, and, you know, some of that obviously is because of the flight that came in the other night. Um, we were making steady progress there. 
you know, but our, our goal, because again, when we came into office, we were slightly under a thousand in police districts and it fluctuated. We were able to get it down to 400 at some point. And then when you started to see like a rapid increase, that was about, you know, early September, late August. And then it, it totally peaked and climaxed at the middle of October. And that's when we had the most people in our police stations uh, sleeping on floors and, you know, just spilling over. You're listening to WBBM News Radio's At Issue. I'm Craig Delamore. My guest is Christina Passioni Zayas, Deputy Chief of Staff to Mayor Brandon Johnson. And uh, I do want to, we have to touch on the health issue. Um because of the, the death of a five-year-old boy at a Pilsen shelter, if anything, it put the health of new arrivals top of mind for everyone. Now, I, as you mentioned, Cook County has been uh, helping with the uh, health part, but uh, who's keeping track of the migrants' health? Uh, and not just the the crisis uh, cases, but general flus, colds and such. Uh, how is that being monitored and and dealt with? Yeah, so it's a shared responsibility. Um, There is a partnership between, obviously, uh, the Department of Public Health here in the city, as well as the um, Cook County Healthcare System. So Cook County Healthcare System is designated to provide primary care to all shelter residents, but that wasn't made available until you reached the shelter. Um, But also, you know, just in full transparency, because of the exponential growth during that period that I just mentioned, you know, over the summer, there, you know, was a lag in terms of being able to connect with people to get their first um, full, uh, you know, uh, visit and with primary care. However, every every single individual that does come into shelter um, does have a screening just to make sure that there's, you know, immediate kind of triage that may be needed. Um, our shelter staff is instructed that if people, you know, do present um, with a medical emergency, you know, they're they're they are trained to call nine one one and to get folks to that. I mean, just to also give you a sense of like when we did have the police stations open and the the volume of individuals that needed the support, um, they actually had about roughly between 350 to 400 ambulance runs a week with our uh, police stations. To give you some some perspective on that, the months before, you know, we started to see a significant increase in our police station population, that was an entire month of ambulance runs, was about 300. So we were not only um, kind of managing larger populations, we were managing populations that were arriving to us with more acute medical conditions. Um, And a lot of that is because um, at the border, in in terms of the resources there, they, you know, were not doing their due diligence with respect to screening people, with respect to connecting them to, you know, triage, and also with respect to like immediately putting people on buses as soon as they cross the border after this treacherous journey through several countries and all kinds of crazy conditions. Um, so just to kind of like recap, Cook County Health takes care of primary care. CDPH coordinated our external partners at the police stations to do triage and also to add certain clinics and stand-ups or pop-ups within our shelters 
to kind of, again, provide that triage or vaccine clinics or specific. Um, I was just at the Halstead shelter this week and they were doing strep throat checks. Um, you know, all of those kinds of pieces come together. Um, but there is definitely a lot more um, coordination that is happening because of the exponential growth and the need to be even more nimble and bring in more partners to meet the demands of the populations that are coming to us. And I know there may be some liability issues, but are organizations, outside organizations, able to lend a hand? I know uh, UIC had a had uh, teams of uh, students, I, I believe, supervised by a doctor who yes. were doing that kind of work at the police stations. Um, someone from one of those groups, uh, you know, complained that said, well, we were trying to help out at the shelters and we're told, no, we can't. What What's the status of that kind of activity where extra hands might be needed and might mm -hmm. be being offered? Yeah, no, we are working through that. Um, there were there were external partners already working at some of the shelters, like I said, with some of these pop ups. That group in particular, the Migrant Mobile Health, which is Dr. Figueroa, who's an amazing, um, you know, she's she's faculty over at UIC. She's also a practicing doctor and she's very rooted in community. Um, and the team that she has put together is absolutely amazing. And I also happen to know a lot more detail about this because while I was state senator, my uh, my chief of staff, who is an amazing person in the mutual aid space, she was kind of, you know, I, I detailed her basically to assist CDPH and the the um, the mutual aid groups with connecting these resources because the need was so great. And so we're in the process right now of trying to figure out what are the ways that we can bring in more partners, but have some order to this so that it's not, you know, scattershot, but we're being very targeted and we're being very deliberate in how we cascade the resources. Um, you know that we have a new commissioner, Dr. Simboige, who is amazing. And she has, you know, extensive experience with the Ebola crisis with doing community health work and doing it with community. And so I think having that new um, leadership and also kind of an orientation to understanding the importance of having trusted community medical support, um, we are able to make some headway with um, expanding uh, the, the, the types of support that we can provide inside shelter. Um, you mentioned the federal aid or the lack of it. Uh, can we talk a little bit about that? Because how frustrating is it to the city has to go forward with this? And you've been asking for more federal help. There were demonstrations by people who weren't even the city, except for, you know, a few aldermen uh, yesterday outside of federal facilities asking for federal help. You've been asking for more state help. Is at least at the federal level, not enough of it's coming. I would think you probably would have some questions about how much state, how can it continue without those partners really being partners? Well, from the federal perspective, you know, what they have allocated is, you know, just nominal, right? Um, when you look at you know, you add up all the kind of chunks that they have sent along the way, it is merely like less than $40 million. 
Um, and, and we know that, you know, that's pretty much our burn rate right now for a month. Um, and, and we are working on bringing that down, you know, because we've renegotiated contracts and we have some community-based partners that are going to come in and we have a meal service contract that's about to be live. Um, and that's going to help us with, you know, kind of managing costs um, on top of having more cost-efficient shelters. But the point is, is $40 million 15 months later is just ridiculous. Um, whereas the city has put forth you know, in, in, in the $60 million range. And then the state has put forth, obviously um, there there's different numbers, but for the most part, you know, two to 200 to $300 million in supports. I mean, the, the governor just announced an additional 160 um, million and we've obviously appropriated 150 million. Um, and then the county has actually recognized, too, that they've had to increase their contribution. I mean, I'm grateful that we have um, an intergovernmental, you know, arrangement and um, recognition that we are not just a welcoming city or a sanctuary city. We are a sanctuary county. We are a sanctuary state. Um, there is an entire state that has, you know, that this applies to, and that's why it's really important that the responsibility be shared um, across governments and that we are looking for even additional resources. We have asked the state to assist with standing up additional resettlement hubs. Um, Chicago cannot be the only place because we are a welcoming state. Um, we have asked them to support our efforts directly with, you know, our sheltering and staff. Um, to help pay and share those costs because we are basically um, the, the the epicenter. Buses are still going to come and we're going to still need to be able to humanely and safely um, welcome people. And so, you know, we call on all of our partners to do everything that they can, including to put pressure on the federal government to make sure that they do their part. And there's so much more. I could, we, we could use an hour of to just talking about the mechanics, but I do want to talk about the hearts and minds part of this uh, mm -hmm. as well, um, because the effort to have a ballot measure for people and let's stipulate when people are talking about this issue, they don't really mean the the uh, sanctuary city ordinance, even the even the sponsors of that ballot measure are acknowledging that's not what they're really talking about. What they're really talking about is spending money on migrants. That's still that effort to put a, any kind of measure on the ballot, any kind of question has been derailed for now, but the divisive debate is still going on. Mm -hmm. uh, how do you get people on board with, uh, as I know you've said and others have said, living our values um, when some people are speaking from the perspective of living in communities that have been disinvested for so long and have valid grievances? Mm -hmm. Well, I think both of those can be true, right? I think we have to stand in our values. Um, and in this case, the application of standing in our values is welcoming um, individuals who have the international right to seek asylum. And I think we also have a significant responsibility to be able to fulfill unkept promises or frankly, to transform policies that historically have harmed people and particularly black Chicago. 
I mean, what the mayor ran on was a platform to restore and to repair and to recenter the city um, because there have been so many policies in place that deliberately destabilize, disenfranchise, and sideline, specifically redline Black Chicago, right? And so those issues did not happen overnight, nor with this administration. We have inherited 40 years of austerity. We have inherited people who have not had the best interests of Chicagoans um, in, in, in the center of their decision making because they've never had to rely on public um, services or public aid. Um, they've never sent their children to public schools. Um, all of these things inform the administration because all of us have lived through this and depended on these types of things. So I think it's a false choice to say that because we are attending to this issue, we're not going to attend to this issue. And I feel like our budget definitely speaks to the down payment to that commitment. Everything from the $250 million to um, invest in solutions to eradicate homelessness. We have a chief homelessness officer that is about to uh, start with us at the beginning of the year so that they can better coordinate and align resources across city government to really drive the change and get to net zero. Um, we also have $100 million that is going towards community violence intervention so that we can promote community safety in a holistic way. We are reopening two of our mental health clinics and we are piloting an alternative response model without law enforcement and we're expanding our community health workers. We also are investing in home repair for households that historically have not been able to repair their roofs or their boilers or adapt because they now are disabled and need to have special modifications. We have hiring fairs that we are planning so that we can connect people to good paying jobs so that they can begin to build and, and create economic wealth. And then of course, um, the referendum that will be on the ballot in March, should it pass, will be a permanent revenue source um, for homelessness and eradicating that um, issue. So all of these things are underway. And that's why I had said earlier in the program, we have just passed the most progressive legislative agenda for a brand new administration in the first six months. We gave tipped workers a raise and those tipped workers are predominantly women of color, black women, that we will see incrementally able to have some type of living wage that they historically have been denied. So all of these pieces are in play. And then the last one that I'll just mention that it was just last week, we were really proud of this. The, the mayor just signed an executive order to remove the red tape for development of housing and the whole spectrum of housing from affordable housing to home ownership, because a lot of things were always getting caught up in the bureaucracy. And we have a significant deficit of affordable housing. And what we can do in government is to figure out the ways to streamline those processes so that we can not just be effective, we can literally hand keys to homeowners. Um, who historically have been locked out. And we know that that is one of the pathways to self-sufficiency and to building generational wealth and closing the racial wealth gap. And we are completely out of time there. <laughs> but I do want to thank Christina Passione Zayas. She is Mayor Johnson's Deputy Chief of Staff. Thank you for spending the time with us. 
Uh, to our listeners, if you would like a copy of this program or just to hear it again, please visit our website, wbbmnewsradio.com. There's a link on the homepage. You can also find our podcast on odyssey.com. We'll be back next week with another edition of that issue, and I hope you'll be listening. Until then, I'm Craig Delamore, News Radio 1059 WBBM. T Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus ATT and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T Mobile Essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did.